What a difference six years can make on the ministry of Brian Head Welch. And how does this relate to the salvation story of rock star Alice Cooper? Stay with us as we look at this and other stories on the 511 News. Now, there are two kinds of people in the world, only two kinds, not black and white, not rich and poor. There are those who are dead in sin, and there are those who are dead to sin. After three nights of unbridled lawlessness across London, the contagion is spreading. The problem is that God has already judged this. He has judged murder already. I don't need to question it. I don't need to ask and wonder what his plan is. We're commanded as Christians not to participate in the works of darkness, but expose them. Welcome back to the 511 News. I am your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And today's topic is one, as always, that should be close. It's close to my heart for a number of specific reasons. But I think it's a a topic that is really important for the Christian body to understand what it means to be all things to all people and not just simply becoming sinners in order to bring salvation to sinners, which makes absolutely no sense. But with that said, I think that what we can do is look at the story of Brian Head Welch. And I believe this is really, I'm going to call it a tale of two white chairs, an original testimony and a lack of sanctification six years later. And maybe a show of bad counsel, a show of not having the proper resources and the people around him to bring about wisdom that would call him out and lovingly share with him the truth as, you know, we're going to listen to a little bit of his, uh, his testimony and some of the ways he came to Christ. And then we're also going to listen to why he's kind of making some bad decisions. I'm not even going to say kind of, he's making some really bad decisions. Okay. And what I want to do is hear it from his own mouth. Okay. When it comes to Brian Head Welch, I'll tell you a little bit why his testimony was kind of a big deal when I first came to Christ and how I've been very disappointed. But I'm going to have Tony pull up a clip of his original testimony six years ago. Okay, six years ago, he gave his testimony to I Am Second. And on their official YouTube page, we're going to look at a clip of one of the factors that really made him look at his life circumspectly and say, wait a second, what am I doing? Tony, can we pull that clip up? Janaea had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I which remember her skipping around the house singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing all day I dream about sex. And uh, I'm going to die. Now, obviously, for anyone who's a parent, that should cut you the quick. I got to be honest. If your daughter was singing that next to you, let alone if you were the one providing the music for her to sing that next to you, that should cut you to the quick. It actually did the same thing to him. And I'll quote from another video that he made uh, concerning his salvation story. He said, quote, when I heard Janae singing a corn song called Adidas, it stands for all day I dream about sex. It's like a party song, you know, when she sang that, you know, she didn't know what she was singing. But it was like, what am I doing to my kid, you know? I felt like a loser, like the biggest loser in the whole world. And that's when around the time I started having those thoughts, you know, I'm no good for this kid, you know? And 
end quote. And one of the one of the cool things is you hear his testimony, and he said it was actually a realtor, I believe a realtor, a realtor officer of some sort, and who came up to him and said, "Hey, I had this verse, and I've never had this happen to me." I've had this verse on my heart and I, I just don't know, am I supposed to give it to you? And I'm going to give it to you. And it's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. And he said he had to look up burdened and heavy laden and he had to look those up. And he ended up going to church with the guy. Now, he said he came up to like an altar call and he gave his life to the Lord. And then after that, he went back to drugs that night. But then eventually he cried out to God saying, I'm this loser. And he wanted to give his life to Christ. And now for me personally... That testimony I thought was really, really cool because for me, I came from the background of I love that music. I remember watching uh, on TV when MTV covered it, Corn at that Woodstock Festival, and I had never seen a crowd. And I'm talking about all those artists that that perform there, DMX, and um, I, I can't even go through the list of artists. I think every major artist at the time in 1999 played at that Woodstock, and I remember there was no band, no band that enraptured that that audience the the fires that took place the amount of chaos that happened and for me as an unregenerate non-believer i thought it was the coolest thing in the world i still remember you know riding bikes over to the tar local target with a buddy and stealing the corn cd's you know sadly and i remember listening to corn and loving their albums and so when i came to christ I was like, wow, one of the guys that I used to listen to, he no longer does that music. That's so cool. He came out from their midst. He's separate. He's doing his own thing. I really, I got to be honest, and this is for a whole topic on another show when it comes to what style of music, because when I tried to listen to his music as a believer, it was very dark, even as a believer. And I was like, ah, I'm not really into this. So I just turned it off and I was like, hey, at least he's kind of sharing his testimony and, and doing his thing. And I was like, that's pretty cool. So I was really encouraged that somebody from that demonic, disgusting, I mean, absolutely grotesque music industry, especially the, the, the metal industry, because I was into every one of those bands, Slipknot and Killswitch Engage and Throwdown and Devil Driver. And so for me, I was like, wow, I can't believe someone came out of that because I came out of it as a fan to hear that. It was really encouraging. So as a believer, kind of following him, I saw these started getting getting involved with guys like John Crowder. If you guys know who he is, he's one of the, you know, the the marijuana <laughs> guys where he thinks uh, he's getting high and and acts like he's snorting Bible verses and he's pretty much a lunatic in all honesty. But nonetheless, I I said, wow, why is he getting involved with this guy? And I knew he was with the Whosoever's and Raul Reese's son, I believe, is it Ryan Reese, I believe, uh, was on a, the Frank Sontag show. And he was discussing Brian Head Welch going back to corn, and I was so disappointed. And I called in, and I got on the show, and I said, "Hey, Ryan, I got to be honest with you. I'm really disappointed. I thought, hey, he came out from their midst. He's been separate. Why is he going back to the band?" And he replied back. I, I hung up, and he replied back that, "Hey, you have no idea the move of the spirit, and there's so much going on, and people are coming to Christ and stuff." And while that sounds all good, I want to hear what Brian Head Welch says, what was the thing, the catalyst that brought him back to do that? Because I know for me, I just think automatically, already, null and void, you cannot play this wicked stuff and say, I'm doing it for Christ, okay? I can't go back to the bar and get drunk and I'm like, hey, they feel 
Like, they're just like me. We're back again. I'm, I'm back to my old drunken ways. And now all my friends I used to play beer pong with and, and chug, chug liquor with, now I can be one with them again and we can start doing those things together. And I'm going to bring them to Christ through that. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. So I want to hear what are his motivations? Because six months ago, I am second brought him back in. And I know they're, they're doing somewhat of a film about him and his daughter and love for his daughter. But they brought him back in to talk about why he joined back with corn, And we actually have that clip. And it'll be an extended clip. But I'm going to have Tony play it right here. And then I'm going to discuss some of the things that he said. And then some of the things that we've been emailed about on the article we wrote. Or I, I wrote, actually, called An Open Letter to Brian Head Welch. Which you can find on goodfight.org. But Tony, let's pull up that clip. The crazy thing is, when I shot the I Am Second movie, my life was really uh, complicated. 2009, I lost my house. And so tow trucks came and picked the cars up out of my from the front of my house. Everything I, I tried to do was failing, career-wise, music-wise. That went on for a few years, and I had these glimpses of like, "Don't worry, you're getting crushed for a reason." You know, I was playing in solo career. I was doing so, solo music and everything, and I ended up at this uh, Carolina Rebellion festival and. I hadn't seen a lot of the corn guys in a long time. I was also with the band on tour with the band Red, and and they I jammed a song with them earlier in the day, and a lot of the corn fans saw it, and so word started going around. Is he gonna play with corn? So I ended up they invited me to play with uh, with them, and I played one song called Blind, and the crowd went nuts. Singer breaks down in tears. You know, I wondered what it all meant because it was so powerful. My dad was in tears the next day. I had fans that were there in tears, fans online. They cried when they saw it. It was just, it was very special, but I didn't know what it meant. And uh, I started getting a tug in my heart after reconnecting with those guys just as friends that after a few meetings with them, I start, my heart started to be informed and with understanding about what my future is going to be. And in 2012, I rejoined Corn, which was a surprise to many, including myself. So all that, that crowd, all those fans and the band members and all those other bands, are, that's my... Like, when I went back, it was like, hey, brother, that's my family, you know? And I know the music, music's crazy, but mainly the, the, the lyrics are about pain. You know, and they come from a real and raw place. People need hope. There's addictions like crazy in that world. There's depression. There's been a lot of suicide um, stories happening. What better place to be having the meaning of life that I carry? You know, I know the answer for the meaning of life. So it's not the most popular thing to do at a rock concert is talk about Christ. Now I'm doing it because it's the most realest thing that's ever happened to, be, to me in my life. There's always a separation that Christians try to do. It's like when a baby's born, it needs to be in a sterile environment where everything's pure around the, the, the baby, right? For a period of time until it can go start touching things. And so that's, it's kind of the same thing spiritually where you got to go away in a pure environment and get to know, you know, this new life and get strengthened and prepared. And that's what happened. And so we need to figure out what's right for our lives for this time. You know, I did that. Now, there is a lot to dissect there. I mean, first and foremost, it's kind of sad if you listen to the beginning of that clip. Okay, and you can find that on YouTube on the I Am Seconds uh, YouTube page. But if you listen to the beginning of that clip, he says that he started losing money, <laughs> you know, sadly. And 
he seemed like to ha- he had somewhat of a biblical perspective. Oh, maybe I'm just being crushed right now. You know, maybe I'm counting it all as loss, as Paul would say. Okay. And that biblical perspective changed. And what took place there was him then at the same time where all this is happening, instead of being pulled closer to the Lord, it seems like the enemy pulled him back to his old friends. And I wanted to read a couple of the lyrics of the song that he said when he was called onto stage to play with them and all these tears. Okay. I want to talk about some of the lyric lyrical content of that song blind. And I'm just going to read a, uh, just a few stanzas here or just a stanza uh, from the song. And he says in the song, it says, quote, deeper and deeper and deeper as I journey to live a life that seems to be a lost reality that can never find a way to reach my inner self-esteem is low. How deep can I go in the ground that I lay? If I don't find to uh, find a way to see through the gray that clouds my mind, this time I look to see what's between the lines. I can't see. I can't see. I'm going blind. And that repeats over and over to end the song. These are the things that are being meditated on by his audience. Now, I could go back and point to the song Adidas. Okay. And we could talk about how this isn't just them singing about broken people. This is about that. This is about broken people singing broken things that will never satisfy. Always being blind, meditating on on no answers. This is the problem, okay? And I could go into a tangent about the problem of Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? And the nonsense of sitting up there and never giving someone the true hope. You have all the questions or the conspiratorialist online, okay? The angry, you know, political pundit where all he has is anger and this will fix it, this will fix it, but they don't actually have the answer in Jesus Christ. And that's what these lyrics do. Lyrics to songs like this and the other songs in Korn, not, I'm not even going to get into the demonic junk that they get involved in, okay? Jonathan Davis specifically. But what I'm looking at is no answer, and that's what you're providing them, okay? I would ask, in all honesty, does he really think when somebody comes to his concert and listens to a show from one to four hours long sometimes, music, over and over again, they sit back and meditate on this, that his word is now going to go out. And now he's going to, that, that little bit, that all this meditating on, okay, just put, put it into perspective. Does he think that the non-believer is going to come hear that? And now that's going to be the gospel message. Or does he actually believe, which I believe is much more closer to the truth that believers will now have a certificate of insurance that I can listen to this music because there's two believers in the band now. So now I can listen to this music. He's given them a license to listen to wickedness, to meditate on the very unholy things that the Bible warns about. Okay? And I really want to look at what he talked about when he said that when you get saved, you need to be in a sterile environment, and then you can go out and touch. And that there's this, it's almost like there's a delusion in the church that you have to be separate. I'm sorry, that separateness that we're talking about in the church, that's literally from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? Through 7-1, actually. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14, it says that we are the temple of God, believers, and non-believers are the temple of idols or demons. This does not mean that every single non-believer is possessed, but what it does mean is that they have the capacity to be. And what it also means, if we put that with Ephesians 2-2, the principalier Satan works through the sons of disobedience. This means that we have spiritual problems 
okay, that we have people, non-believers around us, and that we aren't to be yoked with them. And I think it's really interesting if we read 1 Corinthians 5 next to 2 Corinthians 6, we have two different prescriptions here. In 1 Corinthians 5, it warns of not even eating with somebody who calls himself a believer and yet engages in all these immoral practices, okay? Fornication, adultery, these things, lying, thieving. And then we have, even though we shouldn't even associate with them, okay, then we have the non-believer to not be unevenly yoked. So when you hear him talking about being accepted back, calling them brother, guys, when we think about the word Christian in the New Testament, okay, it's only used between three and five times, okay, something in reference to in the book of James, but it's only used of non-believers calling us Christians, okay, typically, or in reference to that. All right. It says in the book of Acts that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Uh, the king before uh, Paul before the king asked uh, king the king before Paul said, uh, "Are you persuading me to be a Christian?" And Paul said, "Yes, I would love for you to be Christian." And then we're also told that if we have that name, right, that we should glorify God in it. If people call us that name, if we are persecuted as Christians, we should glorify God in that name. That's what Peter tells us. Okay. So it should be, we should recognize that and recognize that throughout the New Testament. Over and over again, the term brethren, is that's what they used. Dear brethren, dear brethren, dear brethren, dear saints. This is what they use. So, so then to say, once I left the body of Christ here, and once I was embraced by all these non-believers, these are my brothers, these are my family. I'm sorry, that's not biblical. Your family is now the adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. The ones who have been adopted because of the blood of Jesus these are the blood-bought believers that you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests with. So when you're saying you feel embraced by the non-believer but not the believer, what are you doing wrong? What is this acceptance that you want, that you want to say, these, this is my family? I'm sorry. That is not biblical. 1 John chapter 3 is very, very clear. Okay, because everyone thinks, oh, everyone's a child of God. That's not true. We are all his creation. But 1 John 3 makes it very simple. Okay. If you follow the Lord and you practice righteousness, you are a child of God. If you practice waywardness and sinfulness, you are a child of the devil. This is very, very clear in Scripture. And so when you say these are your brethren, I ask, why are you being yoked together with these nonbelievers? As somebody who's been involved in youth ministry now for, for nine years, one of the biggest things on my heart has always been to warn of the unequal yokingness I don't care if that's a word okay being unequally yoked okay because everyone thinks why do, why do why do kids run away from the church when they when they get out why are millennials leaving the church that's because their best friends that's because their boyfriends or their girlfriends are all non-believers the people that they confide in about the things they're struggling with they're non-believers you send your kids to Caesar and you expect them not to come back as Romans I'm sorry I'm not telling you it's sin to send your kids to secular school, but you best believe they better have some friends that are believers. If you send them there for eight to nine to 10 hours a day when they hang out there, okay, if they play a sport and they don't have any believing friends, you are asking for disaster. You are asking for a disaster. And that is exactly what happens. And so I have a passion and a heart to make sure believers are with believers. Every single encounter that you have with a person, believing or non-believing, should be of two facets. If you meet with a believer, then it should be for the edification of that believer. 
Whether you're pulling him back, uh, Pastor Joe's been doing a series at, at Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, regarding pulling believers back that are falling away. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 warns about this. James 5, 19 through 20, calling those believers back, okay, getting them back. And then Jude also talks about have mercy on those who are doubting, saving them from the fire. Okay, so we want to we want to do those things. Okay, that should be us or building them up and telling them, hey, man, I, I want to build you up in your walk with Christ, encouraging them for love and good deeds, as it says in the book of Hebrews. But then your relation to a non-believer, your relation to a non-believer should be that of salvation, wanting to bring them to know Christ. I know, and I've told this in my testimony a number of times, when I was having somebody share the gospel with me, he never came to the parties that I was at. He never came to the parties I threw. He didn't come to my drinking parties, as First Peter 4 warns about. Okay, What he came is he said, Chad, you're going to enter in to my realm. You're going to come with me. You're going to come to my house. And I'm not going to be tempted, as the book of Galatians warns, you who are spiritual, restore a brother, okay? But don't put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted, okay? He called me out of that, and guess what? When I wanted to leave that world, I wanted nothing to do with it because I recognize the vapor. I recognize the poison. And I said, if I'm going to repent, I cannot leave Los Angeles and go to New York without leaving Los Angeles. I needed to repent, have a change of heart, which leads to a change of action, okay? And that's exactly what happened. And I always respected that. And before I even had read Galatians 6 and understood I had to be warned by not going into those facets, I I, I recognized, okay, just experientially, this is how it worked with me, okay? And when you when you are supposed to be saved, but you do everything else that the world does, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know if you're a believer. Sadly, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not the judge, but the fruit that bears when you look exactly like the world, if it walks like a duck, it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. Guess what? It's probably a duck. All right. It's not a goose, <laughs> but it, it's something that hurt my heart. And then there was another thing he said that when you're a baby talking about when he first came to Christ, he needed to be cleaned up and and he needed to make sure he's in a sterile environment so that he didn't touch anything and get sick, right? The problem is it's exactly the opposite of your walk with Christ. It's exactly the opposite of the doctrine of sanctification, okay? Because the doctrine of sanctification is that you become more and more and more like, like Jesus, not less. So what happens is when you look at scripture, you read things like John 15 about the, you're talking about you have the, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and we are the branches, okay, of Christ. And if we are the branches, it says, if we don't bear fruit, he cuts us off and throws us in the fire. If we are, okay, bearing fruit, he says that he prunes us. This is how we become more and more like Jesus. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification. You don't clean up and then go backwards. That, no, you become actually more and more like a child, because just as we have children that rely on us every single day, if you've had a baby, you know that they cannot live without you. Literally, they will die. Okay? And that's how you get more and more like Jesus because you recognize in his word. You recognize that you need him, that you need him for your sustenance. Give us this, give us this day our daily bread, right? That we go back and we become like children. Okay? That we go back and recognize I can't live without Jesus. And we grow more and more like him. And it's funny that he uses that analogy because God's word uses that analogy in Ezekiel chapter 16 of Israel. 
that they were this babe almost on the side of the road squirming around in its blood and swimming around with his umbilical cord. And that God picks them up and cleans them up. And the warning that he gives is that after cleaning them up, they went back to their idolatries. In Ezekiel 16, 22, it says, Besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and squirming in your blood. I pray that Brian Head Welch would remember the days of his youth. That he would remember that he would go back to his first love, as the book of Revelation, one of the, one of the churches this is how we want to be. We want to make sure we go back to our first love. We don't want to be blind as the song that he proclaimed sings. 1 Corinthians 2.14 warns us about this. The natural mind who is unable to see because of the blindness. There's a veil over the eyes of the non-believer that hides the light of the gospel from them. This is the edifice of his return to corn. 1 John 2.11 warns of the darkness that blinds the eyes of those who practice wickedness. Is this what we want? And I'm going to try to dissect this as quick as possible. We actually got an email response, and then he also wrote on the article concerning how we should look at Brian Head Welch going back to corn. And I'm going to read from what the email said. He said, quote, Paul willingly went to Athens, which may have seemed like a godless vacation to believers at the time. He was on a missionary trip. <clears throat> but Paul reached out to the Athenians by ministering to them about their own unknown God. Paul was there for them and introduced them to the one true living God on Athenian turf using common ground via, via their own beliefs. And, and quote there, first of all, he didn't use their <laughs> common ground with their own beliefs. He pointed out this unknown God is the one true God and all your false gods are, are not real. Okay, they're demons actually is what Paul describes them as in 1 Corinthians 10. And it's very, very important to recognize that Paul went there to preach the gospel, not have a Athenian vacation, okay, a godless vacation. He went there for the purpose of sharing the gospel. He did not go there and partake in their idolatry. And that is what playing with corn is, partaking in their idolatry. There is a far cry, a big difference. And this is exactly what happened in the book of Exodus. When we have... Moses up on the hill, bringing down the Ten Commandments. And as Moses goes away, what happens with Aaron? He fashions himself a gold, golden calf. Okay, and, and I want you to picture this. This is God making a covenant with them. This is God making a covenant with them of marriage. He is marrying Israel. And after marrying Israel, he comes back. And guess what? On the honeymoon, they're cheating on him. Did Moses come down and now join in in the celebration and say, well, you know what? I'm going to witness to Aaron and these guys while I dance around next to this, this golden calf you're calling Yahweh. No, he did not. He was furious with them because it was a stain on God's reputation. And I think we need to really look at that. One other thing he said is, quote, head and field, he needs your prayer, not your pushback. You know, Paul literally in, the in, in chapter 17 talks about the, those in Thessalonica, the Bereans were the ones that were, guess what? More noble than those in Thessalonica because what? They examined everything they said by the scriptures. Okay, so we need to examine people. There's nothing wrong with that. The other three guys in the band that need Jesus as well, a whole staff and touring company, thousands of fans. What would you do if a, ki a killer opportunity like that? Quote, I agree that their lyrics aren't godly. Head and fieldy are there in that ungodly envi environment prayerfully. Yours 
and my opinion really don't matter in God's work. They need our prayerful support for strength and godly resolve. Light overcomes the darkness. Surely a few bad words won't disrupt the eternal kingdom of God. Amen? No, not amen. Okay? Because this is the kind of nonsense that gets people swinging for Christ. I'm not joking. Okay? There is a, there is a couple that thinks they are swinging with Christ as they commit adultery. And what if I said to you, a little bit of adultery isn't going to disrupt the eternal kingdom of God, is it? You'd say, what are you talking about? How can you, how can you do evil expecting good to happen? No bad tree bears good fruit. And that's exactly right. No bad tree bears good fruit. And this brings me real quick, as fast as I can, to Alice Cooper. We've been getting a lot of emails ever since Greg Glory posted a picture with Alice Cooper and everyone's talking about and posting his conversion. Fox News is sharing about how he's a, he's a believer. And so I, I went and I said, okay, I want to see. Maybe he doesn't sing all those terrible songs. And I went to one of his concerts from seven months ago to where he literally starts the concert with No More Mr. Nice Guy. And here are the lyrics that begin that song. Quote, I used to be such a sweet, sweet thing till they got a hold of me. I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped the blind to see. I got no friends because they read the papers. They can't be seen with me. And I'm getting real shot down and I'm feeling mean. No more Mr. Nice Guy. He's sick. He's obscene. These are the lyrics beginning at at, at a concert seven months ago. And he's proclaimed salvation for a quite a long time now, for years. Okay. And also, if you go and check out our video on Kesha, Okay, Kesha, the satanic cult leader, you will see Kesha and her mom at an Alice Cooper concert performing. But guess what Kesha's mom is dressed up as? An erect genitalia on the stage. Is this really the actions becoming of a believer? I think not. And I think we need to watch for ourselves. You know, I listened to Alice's testimony the other day. And one of the things he said, he grew up in the church. He grew up, his dad, his grandfather is a pastor, family or evangelist. In fact, his wife's father is a pastor. And he said the thing that drew him away was when he saw the Beatles play. And then he saw that and wanted that. And I want you guys not to be lured away by even Brian Head Welch or any of these other guys. And recognize these arguments are bad. You cannot wash your car, okay, with cow manure. It will never get clean. You can't do evil expecting good to return. I just want to encourage you guys to be active in sharing your face of a full understanding of every good thing in Christ. This has been Chad Davidson with the 511 News.